These are my confessions. The iced coffee confessions with Suzette. Mm. Good evening, loves. I say evening because this is a special edition of the iced coffee confessions with me, your girl, Suzette. It has been an extremely long time since I've done an iced coffee confession. And so I know I had to come back right. I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. I'm not going to try to come up with any silly explanations for why episode nine has taken many, many months and moons to record. I'm just going to say I'm back with one of my favorite people in the whole entire world. He is likely one of yours too, Mr. David Johns. Uh, and don't forget the mister. Hey, put some respect <laughs> <on it. laughs> For episode nine. Sometimes you need a little inspiration. And I am inspired by David generally. <laughs> but more specifically, I've just been really inspired by his vulnerability and his authenticity in the dating space. And so I'm so excited to welcome Mr. David Johns. <laughs> Where's the whore? Boo, 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 boo. We're in Brooklyn. What the hell, bro? Mr. David Johns <laughs> to the iced coffee confessions. Oh, now, there is no coffee in either of these cups. Either. <laughs> <laughs> it, do I say either because? No, no. You, it was whisper. I, I think it's like potato, potato. Either, potato. either, I think, either. I think it's because I'm Caribbean. But anyway, yeah, let's go with that. Either of our cups because it's a celebratory situation. Yes. David came from Narnia. The <laughs> <laughs> no, Harlem is not Narnia. <laughs> from, Har- from Harlem, USA. Right. The center of blackness still. That's questionable. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> to join us for this taping and so excited to have David. As you all know, David is a man with many hats, but the thing that is very consistent about David is um, his willingness to stand in the gap and his willingness to champion marginalized people in a really important way. And so while we will be digging into his dating life, I also want to make sure that we um, take an opportunity to also hear more about the work that he is leading and his um, passion that is charging him forward in the name of all of our wonderful and beautiful brothers and sisters. And so with that, David... Yes, right. <laughs> My first question for you. Yes. And actually, the first question I try to ask everybody on Nice Coffee Confession is, what didn't they tell you? And by they, it's like a, um omnipotent... Yeah, who omnipotent. Jay-Z refers to when he says, who are they? They, they, yeah. those days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what didn't they tell you about life after 35? Oh, wow. So my visceral response when you say 35 and those numbers ring in my ears is to acknowledge that that is at the top of the life spectrum for Black trans women. Mm-hmm. The average life expectancy for Black trans women is between 30 and 35. And saying that out loud, I'm appreciating that as a young, as a child, right? I'm from Inglewood, California, born and raised. Inglewood! Always up to no I good. was very shocked <laughs> you didn't do that in that moment. You're being serious. I'll do it for you. Let's return. And um, see. All right. But being... Born in Inglewood, really supported by a community of people who conspired for my success in spite of the conditions that were created by people mm-hmm. to marginalize and oppress Black people in particular. I don't know that I thought much about or had many conversations about life beyond college. Mm-hmm. So I knew as much as I was and am a child of God and that I'm Black and that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. 
that I was going to college. Mm -hmm. And I remember having conversations about the work required to get there. Mm -hmm. But honestly, I did not spend and was not really encouraged or otherwise instructed to think about what life would or could look like beyond Mm -hmm. going to college, which is in part why now I say to young people, earlier today I was at an event for uh, New York City Men Teach uh, and there's a beautiful group of young children who are stepping in the spirit of the Black Greek letter tradition, as well as Beyonce and uh, spring coming. And I say to them, know that you're obligated to graduate from school, mm-hmm. um, to signal that the expectation is not only that they start, but that they finish, mm-hmm. but also to open up this window to a deep appreciation that there's so much life. Mm-hmm. And for me in particular, there's been so much freedom mm-hmm. after completing college and especially on this side of 35. So you've lived a lot of life, right? Um, And someone would argue that you've now you're in your essentially basically your third career, right? So you have been an educator. Once an educator, always an educator. But yes, classroom teacher. God's work. Yes. Always and forever. Yes. The role of an educator. Yes. We thank you for your service. You have been a policymaker. Yes. Right? Because we know who really does the work for our congressional folks. Yeah, the staffers. I spent nearly a decade on Capitol Hill, mostly as a senior policy advisor to the HELP Committee. Right. Um, you have been the executive director for the African American Initiative. Wow. I'm going to mess yeah, it up. That's all right. It's okay. <laughs> uh, the, it's the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for African Americans. Yes, yes. Right. So you um, took your passion um, and your experience to lead a transformative initiative under the only president. Still my president, Barack Hussein Obama, (laughs) his fabulous wife, Michelle Obama, Robinson Obama. And now you are the executive director for the National Black Justice Coalition. right? So again, like you've had many kind of professional lives. I want you to fast forward in your mind to 20 years from now. So we're retired. Mm. We're on a beach in Mauritius. <laughs> you and your Mauritius. <laughs> Google it, people. Google it. <laughs> You're writing your retirement speech. Okay. What do you want someone to say in the closing sentence huh. of your congratulatory speech about you? Huh. So I'm struggling with this, not because we won't be sitting, celebrating in Mauritius. <laughs> Sooner than that, but because I actually don't know that I will ever have the luxury of retiring. Mm. I, for the last five years, have been really in this interesting space of trying to let go of the weight that comes from these adages and beliefs that Mm -hmm. I think that we're often told that sometimes make us feel better. But I find that actually don't necessarily bear out in terms of their truth Mm -hmm. and otherwise are constraining. And so specific to this is this idea that like you work really, really hard for a period of time and then you get to just chill. Mm. And what I have actually struggled with is seeing mentors who have achieved a level of success, who ascended, enjoyed being at this precipice where they've had experiences and opportunities that other people would die for, Mm -hmm. that some of our ancestors have literally died for. Mm And there should come this point where they get to just chill and just be or do what Du Bois talked about, talks about a lot in his early sociological work, which is just to think about our lot in life. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't really have that luxury. Right. Especially those of us who do social justice work, to use the nomenclature of the moment, but are anchored in ensuring that we leverage our privilege so that other people have access to opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think that appreciating that this is a very long process, the process of dismantling systemic Mm -hmm. oppression and breaking down institutions that work to deny us opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to shift and appreciating that that is going to require all that I have Mm -hmm. while I'm here. Yes. And so my hope is that two things will happen over the next 20 years. One is that I will have the privilege of being a father to children that I can, in a more meaningful way, I, I still show up very much with children and community, have relationships with them as a mentor. But I I think more meaningfully and intimately in terms of having a family and being able to pass the baton to them in some way. Mm -hmm. And I also am working such that my academic research, my thought leadership will create a foundation upon which I can continue to do this work and not have to work as hard independently. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I'll ever retire. I say all of that to say that the thing that I appreciate most that people say about me now Mm -hmm. is that something that I have done or said or ways that I show up in the world allow them to shift and or otherwise be seen. And so even today, having someone say that my dating with David Chronicles, which again, is, now that I'm even talking about it and it's become a thing, is it is a cr- thing. crazy. It is a thing. Um, <laughs> it's a thing we'll talk about a little but, later. But what, but what they said is that like they have not yet invited in their parents. This is I don't mm. use the term coming out as most people do in this context. And I appreciate that. So you sent a really important email to your network and your community mm-hmm. to remind them about like just the significance and the importance of like. Pride is more than a month. It's more than a flag, a multicolor flag. It's actually us being really like cognizant about heteronormative contexts and constructs for which we even orient toward like pride and our privilege. And talk to us a little bit more about that, right? Yeah. So the message I got said that because you talk about dating and being expressive and emotive and really being free and comfortable in your skin... I am compelled to have this conversation with people in my life that are important to me. And I haven't had that conversation with heretofore. (laughs) And that was affirming. It allowed me to appreciate that I have the ability to show up for people in ways that I wish adults had shown up for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I leverage my privilege. Connected to the point that I attempted to make about June and Pride Month is that this is really an extension of Black History Month. Mm -hmm. There would not be a 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Resistance, not riot. And there would not be generally a public acknowledgement of pride associated with LGBTQIA identity Mm -hmm. if it were not for Marsha P. Johnson, a black transgender woman who was performing in a very hostile environment, Mm -hmm. showing up in the way that often black people are forced to for economic sustainability and other reasons, but got tired of being harassed by the police and decided to resist. The challenges that existed for black LGBTQ and same-gender-loving people 50 years ago still exist today. Mm-hmm. What's different is that for white LGBTQ people, they get to publicly claim a space of pride. Mm-hmm. So I hate the term coming out. What it does is, for me, affirm very loudly the way that heterosexual privilege works 
and is often made to be invisible. So what it does is set up this expectation that straight people, strictly heterosexual people, I'm doing air quotes for those who can't see, expect that people who are not strictly heterosexual at some point Mm -hmm. will acknowledge it Mm. and then disclose it to everybody else. Mm. The one thing that I think is most curious is that like, it's not a shared expectation. Mm -hmm. Most strictly heterosexual people never acknowledge, nor are they expected to recite the moment in which they saw someone of the opposite sex, were attracted to them, and then knew without a shadow of a doubt that that was their sexual identity. Very true. Beyond that, there's never a point in time in which somebody says to somebody who's strictly heterosexual, when did you announce that to everybody? Mm. Right? And so inherent in that term is this othering. There's this perverse interest that's shrouded in some form of inquisitive celebration that that essentially says, identify for me the moment in which you accepted that you were wrong Mm -hmm. based on every way that we think that people should show up in the world. And it's just problematic. The second thing is that connected to pride and this idea again about coming out is that that's white people stuff. The idea that you get to draw a power from being LGBTQIA is inherently white. Mm. And it's consistent with this idea that white, mostly gay, lesbian people, right? We really don't actually talk about bisexual people. We can have a whole nother podcast conversation about what it means to be trans, both from the perspective of gender orientation and expression. We definitely don't talk about pansexuality, what it means to be asexual or intersex. And I even use the term same gender loving to acknowledge that gay is a white political identifier. Mm -hmm. And so I'm saying all this to say that, like, when you are white, you have the luxury of choosing to come out. Mm-hmm. You have the conversation with your family. It might be uncomfortable in a moment, but at some point, everybody comes around and rallies around you, in part because they don't have the same social anxieties about your safety and well-being. Mm-hmm. And you get to move to a neighborhood like Chelsea, New York, or Hollywood, California, mm-hmm. or Boystown, Chicago. And in those communities, there have been investments in community resource centers or uh, social leagues, think rugby clubs, our flag football associations. There are bars where people can go and build community and draw strength from being gay. Mm-hmm. Black people don't have that luxury too often. Right. Black LGBTQIA and same gender loving people mm-hmm. live with other black people. We are disproportionately concentrated in the South in states where it's legal to discriminate against us. So when you think about like what's happened with my brother Nigel Shelby, who lives in Huntsville, Alabama, not only do you have to deal with being in a place where your skin color and what people naturally see immediately mm-hmm. is often a mark of stigma. Mm-hmm. That's then compounded with the fact that you can legally be discriminated against for being or being perceived to be LGBTQIA or same gender loving. Exactly. And so in this month of June alone, there have been five black women that have been murdered. Mm-hmm. An acknowledgement that sometimes it is not safe to come out. Coming out is offering up yourself to forms of violence and trauma mm-hmm. that we as people of color spend so much time and energy trying to get away from. Yep. It also, for us, plays into this notion that as Black people, who Audre Lorde acknowledged some decades ago, who have intersectional identities, that I can never distinguish or disentangle my Blackness from my same gender lovingness in moments where society would otherwise otherwise discriminate against me. If I walk outside and and am the victim of a hate crime, I don't know that I would have the wherewithal to ask somebody, is this because I'm black or because I'm same gender loving? Right. 
And so I go back to just that term and those constructs in the same way that heterosexual and homosexual were created. Boy and girl were created to be exclusionary and binaristic categories. They are most troubling when you think about them in the context of how they're applied to people mm-hmm. who are racial and ethnic minorities or who more specifically are black. Now, you've said a mouthful. And I actually want to let you, I was like, man, he's, he hasn't had, had a drink in a second. Take a little sip, friend. <laughs> you said a mouthful. And within kind of, like, if we unpacked what you said, there's a ton of things that keep you up at night, right? Mm. From the safety of our children as they're walking through the journey of coming to terms with whatever their sexuality might be and seeking support, right? So, like, when you think about Nigel, and I appreciate you for correcting me in the use of language and the power of language. So, he died by suicide, not he committed suicide, suicide, um, because that has totally different meanings. As I think about just the work that you have to do around, like, still educating, right? (laughs) So, always an educator because now you're having to stand in this different space, in this different sphere, and bring people along a journey of understanding more about our communities and intersections of our communities. Because, honestly, before you went to the National Black Justice Coalition, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I had never heard of the organization. Mm -hmm. um, And you've just done so much in terms of, like, connecting the dots around the work and the movement and the fact that your organization is the only social justice organization that's focused on... Yeah, the intersections of racial equity and LGBTQ equality. And then in addition to thinking about like your own family and your own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And so when I ask you if there is one thing, right, that keeps you up at night, because there could be many things, mm-hmm. but one thing that keeps you up at night that if you have the support of our community, it would just make sure that it would be like an ambient. You would go to sleep comfortably. What is that one thing that we could be leaning in and supporting with? that would ease some of that pressure off of your plate. Yeah, I'm trying to catch my breath in this moment so I don't start crying. If you cry for you know I got you. <laughs> it's a, no, real, okay real, to real big cry. Real big cry, so it's not about... I thought it was just about being drained in this regard. For those who can't see, who are listening, I have on a shirt that says, hashtag teach the babies. It is something that I recite as a beseechment mm-hmm. daily. It is at the core of my values Mm -hmm. as a person, acknowledging that I care about and committing myself to our children would actually be the one thing I want somebody to say at the end of the day. And the thing that keeps me up at night most often is the reality that our babies aren't, I've never met a single one that has to be born Mm. ever, but as a result of problems that adults refuse to address our babies experience trauma sometimes on the way to and from school that would break the average adult so we both have mentioned and named my brother nigel shelby Um, but for those who don't know he is a 14 year old boy who is amazingly beautiful Mm -hmm. his mother and aikita talk about him in the way that my mother and aunt candy talk about me Every time I look at pictures of him, I think about just the joy that he exuded and the potential and possibility that he had. Mm -hmm. But because we live in a society that does not have conversations about diversity Mm -hmm. or celebrate difference as something that is inherent to each of us Mm -hmm. rather than a deficit, Nigel went to school and was terrorized. Mm He was bullied and he was harassed not only because he was black, but because his classmates thought that he was gay. 
the footnote here is that this idea that we as a society are so perversely fascinated with who people love mm-hmm. deserves a whole nother podcast. And you always come back, <laughs> right? But like, I, like, right, like at 14, a freshman in, in high school, few people actually have relationships. This is when you're beginning to make sense mm-hmm. of who you are in the world around you. But this idea that this young man had to grapple with the weight of being bullied because the adults around him felt to create environments where students understood that it was important to celebrate community and to invest in that. And as a result, again, of our failures, because his mother loved him, Nigel was strong enough to know who he is and who's he will always be. But we offered up that baby and forced him to move through spaces that were not ready to receive him. I want to pause you there for a second to take a second to acknowledge, right? I think there was a lot of um, noise when Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. D-Y-A. Yeah. <laughs> D-Y-A. Yes. <laughs> and Zion. Kavya's daddy. Yes. And mama. Um, actually took the opportunity to celebrate Pride with Dwayne Wade. I believe that's his middle son. Zion, yep. Yep. Well, how does he know, right? Or how do, you know... Shouldn't matter. Why does it matter? Yeah. But what's very interesting, right, is he's not quite a teenager yet, right? Right. If he was loving girls, like, or if he was, like... If he were behaving in ways that were more consistent with the Me Too movement, was being a hypermask, was performing in ways that are consistent with Eurocentric expectations of black masculinity. No one will question it. In fact, he'd be celebrated. Right. So what can we do? Right? Like there's no silver bullet, right? When we know when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, the work is incremental, um, change happens over time, but what can we do now in the moment to support not only you and the work that you're doing, but our children? Yeah, I think we do three things. The first is that adults, caring and concerned adults, no matter your professional occupation, need to be clear about the responsibility we have to level up. Mm -hmm. For some of us, this is about adopting new language to talk about things that we otherwise just haven't spoken about. That's Mm -hmm. why I spend time talking about LGBTQIA and also offering up same-gender loving. These Mm -hmm. are terms that people can use to name things that have always existed, Mm -hmm. but just haven't been discussed. And so there should be no excuse. You don't need a gay friend or an interpreter to walk you through all of this. You can consult Google Mm -hmm. or otherwise show up and do the kind of work that in particular we as black people expect for white people to do before we engage them in conversations about going deeper. Mm -hmm. The second thing specific to our babies is to acknowledge that those of us who are unwilling to do this work that I'm describing of either updating your language, acknowledging that words matter are changing your practices to create space for everybody mm-hmm. to feel safe, engaged, and supported is to move out of the damn way. Say it again, friend. Move out of the damn way. One more time for the people in the back. Move out of the damn way. <laughs> I say this because young people get it. Mm-hmm. Not only any student of history, global history, can appreciate that young people have always been at the center of most efforts for social progress. Every single time especially when it relates to efforts around people of color or Black people, mm-hmm. both on the continent and this one, and throughout the diaspora. Young people throughout the United States are already and have been saying to us for at least two decades that the categories that we have created that often constrict their ability to exist and show up in the world just don't work. Mm-hmm. More than 80% of high school students identify as anything other than strictly heterosexual. This is where I have to say there's no gay agenda. 
If there is, somebody send it to me. At least the references in the bibliography. But what this is an indication of is that young people are saying, like, that boy-girl strict stuff, it doesn't really matter. Right. And in the words of my mentor, Freeman Robowski, it's the, we should not be beholden to the tyranny of either or, mm-hmm. but be liberated by the beauty of both and. And so allowing young people as they are to create new terms, right? Some of them are like, I don't identify as he or she. Mm-hmm. Use Z, Zim, there, right? Taking or their cue to move out of the way. by their name. That too, right? But even that sometimes gets us right back into the same cyclical conversation about social constructs or what Black right. feminists refer to as a matrix of domination because names are also gender, right? And so again, this is where us leaning into conversations around gender nonconformity and or moving beyond the binaries and in the purest form mm-hmm. become really important. So I want to pause you there because I think people are confused by pronouns. Talk to us about the significance and importance of using yeah. the correct pronoun. So the thing with pronouns is this. One, biologically, we are all wired to see and make assessments about sex and gender first. Mm-hmm. If you think about the reality of living at a point in time where you would have to make physical, physiological decisions about fight or flight, assessing someone's gender and then making assumptions about their ability to perpetrate violence against you is the first way that you can then go through the categorical process of reading somebody's presentation. Mm -hmm. So there's data that just says that that's the first thing that we all make assumptions about because we're wired that way. Mm -hmm. Pronouns are the next logical extension of reading someone's gender. And so the way that the mind works is typically we read someone's physical appearance, how tall they are, if they're dressed in clothes that are associated more traditionally with men or women, or is a hair mm-hmm. adorned in such a way that's more traditionally associated with men? Are they wearing makeup? Are they holding a purse or attache? These things that, again, are very crude in terms of being general right. and very superficial. And so typically the way that it's happened is that if you see somebody that reads as female and whatever that means, you use a pronoun that is associated with associated with that. So you refer to her or she, or she mm-hmm. girl, Ms. You use references that traditionally signal women. Right. The parallel should exist for men, but we should also stop at this moment to acknowledge that there is only one way to refer to a man right. after he is a boy. And that's just about chronological time on earth. Mm-hmm. But there are at least three terms to refer to a woman after the point in which she's not a girl. Again, socially constructed categories where you talk about Miss M-I-S-S, Miss M-S, and Mrs. M-R-S mm-hmm. that are supposed to signal to people how you relate to and engage with women based on their relationships with men. Right. So this gets real funky for people who, again, think about life in this one plus one equals two, very basic rudimentary way of understanding things, that if I see somebody that looks like what I imagine a woman is supposed to look like, I'm going to refer to her as a woman. Right. But the reality is that life doesn't work like that. Never has. Never has. And we should not have pretended that it does at any point in time. And so asking or inviting someone to give you the name that they want you to use Mm -hmm or the gendered pronoun that they want to be referred to as a shortened version of that, Mm -hmm. acknowledges that people don't always show up in the way that we expect them to. And in particular for individuals for whom um, gender expression Mm -hmm. is not bound by the social rules around things that men and women are expected to do, 
inviting people to offer a pronouns will save you from misgendering someone or otherwise making unnecessary assumptions that can be corrected or checked if you invite somebody to tell you who they are and how they want you to refer to them. Gotcha. It's always been interesting to me, right? When you learn about even history, where it actually was acceptable at one point in history for men to be in relationships with men. No, stop for a second. Not acceptable. Let's be clear. When we talk about white people and Eurocentric ways of Mm -hmm. being, the highest form of love, Eros with a capital E, was between a man and his boy partner. Right. There was also a process by which black people love to talk about what it means for a boy to become a man. For white European people, you had to become a man by being with a man. Right. And so I remind everybody that like, In particular, the way that we respond to homosexuality and things that are queer in this country Mm -hmm. is not only antithetical to what white people did for themselves, but it's counterintuitive to what we know about people well before words and social constructs were used to justify enslavement, transatlantic enslavement in particular. Exactly. And so we forget. Yeah. Most people don't ever acknowledge. (sighs) David, what do you want people to know and understand about the National um, Black Justice Coalition and how can we support the work of the organization? Yeah, the latter part is easier. You can support the work of the organization by making a donation. Okay, how do we donate? You can donate by visiting www.mbjc.org or accessing us on any of our digital platforms at MBJC on the Move. And I don't say that jokingly in any way, shape, or form. We are a small nonprofit organization and typically when people think about the work of supporting Black people, they assume that we're all heterosexual and they'll invest in a legacy organization like the Urban League or the NAACP or NAN, all partners of ours, all of which we do um, meaningful work with, but again, who don't sit at the intersections or engage in community in the way in which we do. Uh, conversely, whenever individuals reflexively think about engaging in or supporting uh, the LGBTQ movement, this is when people celebrate and pat themselves on the back for being allies. Doing air quotes again, oh, being a little smart Let's not again. talk about allies. No, let's do it, right? Let's Because the work should be to be an accomplice. But when people want to do that, they'll donate and get a bumper sticker from HRC. So it's really important for people, especially in Pride Month, where there are lots of companies that are profiting off of rainbows that don't do a single thing to benefit LGBTQ communities, especially those of color, to invest in queer organizations that are led by people of color. We are the most impacted by policy decisions and are least likely to be closest to power. The second thing just related to that in terms of what support looks like is for people to be mindful of their privilege. In particular, a lot of our work is with, listen, I care about, I love, and I'm committed to ensuring that all Black people get free. Yep. I do this work in particular, um, not only because I'm called to do it and it's my responsibility, but because I know that unless and until all of us are free, particularly the least of these, none of us will be free. And I remind people frequently that most Black people, if we're honest, can acknowledge that we understand the sting of stigma. Mm-hmm. All of us have been, in some way, shape, or form, discriminated against, denied access to public opportunities or accommodations, have spent time toiling next to mediocre white people in ways that just don't make sense, right? Like, I think all of us know that moment in the opening of season two of Scandal when Olivia's standing next to Papa Pope when he says, what's the lesson that I taught you growing up? And she says, you got to work twice as hard to get half as far. far. And all of Black America said, amen. All of us know that. The thing that that we as an organization are attempting to remind 
most black people is that there are some of us who have been lulled into thinking that we made it. Mm -hmm. And while it was really nice to have a black family that was unapologetically black, but also brilliant in the way that we are in the White House, mm-hmm. we should not have been confused about the fact that we're still engaged in warfare, mm-hmm. that our babies are under attack, that people are leveraging public systems of government to deny us opportunities to live simply because they're worried about preserving their privilege, mm-hmm. e.g. Alabama, Georgia. And if we are mindful of the fact that the things that we take for granted as assumed Mm-hmm. privileges, civil liberties, and appreciate that there are members of our community right now who don't have access to those privileges, I think we can stand better together. And my hope is that by cajoling, reminding, sometimes demanding that we do that, that at some point soon we can all get free. Can we demand that people stop clinging to the word allies? Because if you're an ally, you don't need the title. You just do the work. It's how you show up, not what you're called. Yeah, there's that, but there's... and Yes, and yes, and... Come on, yes, and. Yes, and allyship also otherizes initially. Right. To say I am an ally is to say I am not a part of them. Yeah. It's cute that they got that stuff over there going on, the queers and all. I support them, but I want y'all to know that I'm not one of them. Mm. That's what it does at its core. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing it does is allow people to feel good for doing almost nothing. So again, the the transaction is you get to be an ally because you donate, you showed up at a black tie gala. You clicked on a link for a campaign and got a bumper sticker. You watch Will and Grace and think that like you're now, you're woke. Yeah. That does nothing for black trans women who are dying and nobody's discussing it. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about black trans women for a second. Yeah. Why do you think the blind eye to it, right? The answer to most things in this context is always white supremacy and anti-Blackness and the collusion of those two things. Specific to the experiences of individuals who are trans, again, a new term, a new phenomenon. I was with an elder recently who said to me, like, we didn't have that when I was growing up. What the data shows is that white people who um, experience Uh, being trans, which again is a spectrum. Mm -hmm. It is not a a point in time. It doesn't look like one thing. It, like most of our life experiences, whether we're talking about sexual identity, gender orientation, or expression, is diverse. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to understand that. But for many white people, what they do is enjoy the economic benefits of being white. Particularly, they appreciate the attachments to employment, Mm -hmm. and they might Mm cross-dress on the weekend and may, at the point of retirement, experience deeper levels of transness. Asian people who are phenotypically closer to that, which we celebrate around Eurocentric forms of beauty and expression, have the ability and privilege to access economic opportunities that account for how they show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And if they engage in sex work, are typically invited into homes and hotels, Mm -hmm. places that are more safe. Black folks tend to be at the lowest rungs of most quality of life ladders. Mm -hmm. And Black trans folks in particular face the the collusion of white supremacy, anti-Blackness, trans massage noir in particular, a term created by Moore to talk about how all these things come together. And a couple of things happen, right? One, it is expensive to go through the process of transitioning. And Caitlyn Jenner and how quickly... 
she was able to go through that process. Manifestations are privilege. Privilege. Yeah. CC Amanda Seals. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. So not only is it expensive to access meds, mm-hmm. one has to offer themselves up to a doctor who is in a position to assess whether or not you are competent and in your right mind. Which, again, when you think about the way that the medical, the institution of medicine in this country, much like the prison industrial complex and public education has been used to subjugate us, mm-hmm. is just problematic, period. Right. So you layer that on and the lack of culturally competent medical providers on top of that just makes it untenable. So there's that. It's expensive. And then on top of that, we are least likely to be celebrated in ways that people are going to pay for. Right. And so not only, again, remember I talked about that there are states throughout this country, eight of them in particular, where you can deny someone access to housing and employment because they are or you believe them to be trans. We are in spaces where people that don't show up in these easily accessible ways are not going to be promoted in traditional industries, banks, healthcare systems, the like, mm-hmm. they're not provided services. They're definitely not going to be provided or op- provided opportunities to be frontline workers. And so what tends to happen is that black trans women in particular are forced into sex work. I say women in particular because black trans men get erased. Mm-hmm. Seldom do we talk about or even acknowledge them and the challenges that they experience as a result of toxic masculinity and a lot of other things. But black trans women are often invited into choose or otherwise forced into sex work. Mm-hmm. And they're not invited into hotels or homes. They're invited into alleys or cars and in communities where they're hyper-policed. Mm-hmm. So they tend to be sometimes picked up by police in these situations. They engage with men who seek them out, sometimes knowing that they're vulnerable. Because if you decide you don't want to pay a Black trans woman for engaging in sex work, is she going to call the cops? Mm-hmm. What recourse does she have in some communities, including Atlanta, Georgia, which has a high sex trafficking rate for black women and girls? You call the cops. What we know is that sometimes the cops are also forcing black trans women into sex work Mm. or you risk the likelihood that you'll be arrested and then put into a jail cell with people that otherwise might try and do you harm because they're ignorant or otherwise not supportive of you just living your life. So there are these systems that make it exceptionally more difficult for black trans women to show up. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, as a community, we don't even talk about transness as a, as a thing. I think that the space we're in now is such an interesting one, right? Like, so on one hand, I have a handful of peers and friends and people I know or I have access to because of social media who love pose and will celebrate death drops and houses and are adopting terms and doing the things that most people do when they steal our shit. Mm. But let a trans woman die, there's no acknowledgement. Mm. The vast majority of people might go a step further. They'll post something or repost something or cite something that India or Angelica Ross or somebody, Raquel Willis is saying. But seldom do we actually spend time having public conversations Mm. about the ways in which we fail to acknowledge and celebrate and make space for Black trans women in spite of the fact that they continue to make space for all of us. David, tell us one more time how we um, stay in touch with you and the work that you're doing through the National Black Justice Coalition. Yeah, follow me, Mr. David Johns at on all platforms or NBJC on the move or www.nbjc.org. 
So we're going to take a little break. And I don't know how we can say nothing about our dating life. (laughs) (laughs) But this got real deep and real personal. I was like professional. (laughs) But I want to give you a little break just to refresh your not coffee beverage so that we can pause and transition to the other part of this conversation. But want to thank you for just the level of vulnerability and authenticity that you brought to this space. Only way I know to be friends. I'm being fully and holy, Mr. David Johns, the person that is always advocating and championing for our people and our community. And so we appreciate you for that. Fine, babies. Thank you. All right. And we're back. So in addition to being... (laughs) (laughs) Right, but we don't live our... Our lives and like no, we don't. Unfortunately, we don't boxes, have boxes, right? And so the reality is that the professional has the opportunity to always permeate and seep over and spill over into our personal, and our personal has the opportunity always to spill over into our professional. And David, you have made and one of the few people that has had the interesting ability to have it all kind of just mesh. <laughs> okay, let's go with that. It just all kind of comes together. Okay, let's go with that. I want to, though, do an artificial transition, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> and create an artificial binary, right? Okay, okay. Um, To focus on dating with David. Oh, Lord. And so for those of you that don't know, dating with David is... <laughs> Mr. David Johns, because if you don't say the Mr., you're not talking about this David Johns. Maybe the other Lord. David Johns. <laughs> Maybe. There are a lot of them. Most of them white. Because <laughs> Johns is a slave-owning land's last name from oh, Austin, Texas. Listen, I don't know him. Yes. <laughs> I was Mariah, my Mariah Carey. I don't know him. But David, just out of the blue, I don't know if you planned it or not, began his own kind of IGTV series Focus on his return to dating <laughs> um, and his journey. Because I think we also like turn love into a quest. And it's yeah. not a quest, yeah. right? Like most things, it's also a journey. But so his journey through into finding his soulmate. And so actually, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I actually want to start okay. with um, David responding to this Bell Hooks quote. And where this quote is from is I actually... You know, when I had surgery two years ago, now almost two years ago, um, reread a whole bunch of bell hook stuff. And so I um, actually, at the time, bought All About Love. Mm-hmm. And it, it, bell hooks is like, I have like bell hooks quotes. If you're like looking at David's video, I have them on sticky notes all over the house. I don't read them. But just when I'm ready to fall in love, I have them. So I'm clear. they will be a Mary Jane. <laughs> <laughs> and Gotta so, fight for you. <laughs> and bell hooks who um if you don't know bell hooks is queen lowercase b lowercase h yes queen of um just like thinking about black feminist thought i'm in a scholar among scholars but of scholars and so bell um in all about love has this quote that i just had to write down it was when we love by intention and by will by showing care respect knowledge and responsibility our love satisfies mm. Gut reaction to that. Care, respect, knowledge, and responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything missing? No. What's interesting is I am, uh, I love Aunt Oprah. I'm a disciple of Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, love Michael Singer. And a colleague and friend in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago encouraged me to think about 
what I enjoy most about my position when I'm dating. Mm-hmm. Right. And her point was, you know, you are, you have the opportunity to date men who are older and younger, uh, who are different industries. Oh, you got dating privilege. <laughs> we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. In, in part, I'll explain because that's connected to why I started to do this publicly. Mm-hmm. But she said, you know, what are the things that you enjoy most? And it forced me to think about a lesson I got from Brene Brown, which is that, like, everybody will always have something to say. Mm-hmm. I was with Ben Crump in Huntsville, Alabama earlier this week with Nigel Shelby and his family. And he reminded me, too, that when you stand close to the sun, at some point, you're going to feel the heat. Mm-hmm. And so the point here is that Brene talked about writing down the names of the people who were most important to her so that she could always have it with her. Hmm. such that whenever she was criticized, she could pull it out and remind herself if it didn't come from those people who know her and love her, that she didn't have to let it sit with Am her. I on your list? You are. Yes. All right. That'll be. The, <laughs> connected to the dating thing, I'm trying to write down the three things that are most important to me, the non-negotiables in terms of my partner. Now, are they prioritized or? They will be prioritized, but right now I only have one of the three. Okay. And what is that one? The one is someone who is comfortable debating. And so the question I was asking myself is whether or not that was missing, but I think that the four the bell hooks offered, if practiced, allow for that as well. So here's where I am with debating. I am often called passionate when people want to be nice. When I was younger, I said to the babies today that I was called loquacious, that my teacher said I talked too much, but now I get paid to talk. So keep on doing it. Quaints. Okay. And the thing that I appreciate where I am now in my life is that I think too often people are at far ends of the spectrum where black men in particular, because we experience a lot of trauma and black same gender loving men experience a whole lot more trauma that we don't talk about. So uh, some of this is also about us just having spaces where we can heal and be healed. Mm -hmm. But I was on a date recently with a man who every time I offered up something just to try and get to know him, he would find two thirds of what I said to agree with and ignore everything else. Mm -hmm. And I brought that up to him and I said, you know, so this is what I'm sensing that like you want to like keep things copacetic. You don't really want to push or be antagonistic, but I'm also having a problem because I'm not really learning about you. Right. Right. Like the, the one third of spaces where there otherwise might be dissension, disagreement or tension It's a space where we can grow. Like the places where we can agree is nice, but we don't really move from that. And he said to me that that was a result of him growing up in a household where there was a lot of conflict and a lot of arguing, and he just naturally tried to avoid that. So carrying trauma. Right. The opposite side of that is what I've experienced before, which is people who are unable or unwilling to engage in uncomfortable, intimate conversation Mm -hmm. without being backed into it. Mm. And so I've had the experience of partners, both male and female, who will pick a fight that allows both parties to become physically and emotionally exercised in a very demonstrable way that in some way signals associated with trauma that I care. Mm-hmm. And then back into a conversation about was that whatever was at the core of that experience. And that's just exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so what I want and need is someone, a man who is strong and secure enough to have principled positions Mm -hmm. and be willing to discuss them and discuss them in ways that we can grow from, argue about, but never at the point where it becomes disrespectful or problematic in ways. So let me ask you a question. Okay. (laughs) Cause debate is such an interesting word friend, right? Like, is that you want to debate or be able to have like 
prolific and meaningful. It don't always have to be prolific. I'd like less. Well, this is where I struggle with my friend too. Like I was about to go throw me up against the wall. And right? It should be charged though. I had an exchange with a person who I shouldn't say too much about because I always think that people will I know, who, know who I'm talking yeah, about. I don't know. I know. <laughs> it was the first time in a long time where I experienced someone who was like, I don't agree with you and this is why. Mm-hmm. And it so, wasn't that like, you know, he had to be right, but like just in that space. That aren't necessarily yours. There's that, but also be, yes, I want you to have your own opinions. I definitely struggle with people meeting me, parts of me, so be it via social media or my work and assuming that they know me. And Stop not- there. So, going to pull you through this point. How is it being Mr. David Johnson dating, right? Because, right, he's got thousands of followers on the gram, on the twits, on the the book of faces, right? So you have like tons of followers, right? And you live in a space where before people know you, they know you, Mm -hmm. right? So how has that played out in dating? They know parts of me. They know parts, they know you, but they don't understand you, right? I don't even know if that's it. That might be a step too far. So they know of you, they don't know you. Right, 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 right. So I think three things. You said this earlier. This was done with some intentionality because I ended a significant relationship with someone Mm -hmm. who I love. Mm -hmm. I love him, but he's not my person. And I love him enough to let him go. Say it again. I love him, but he's not my person. I love him enough. I love myself enough to let him go. Could you say that you love him, but he's not your person? Thank you. People at the back. Hey, Saint, sick and shut in. <laughs> Acknowledge when you can love somebody, but they're not your person. Look, I love him. And we tried. We tried. Mm-hmm. And what I know and can appreciate is that I showed up in every way possible, mm-hmm. uh, acknowledging the things that he said were an issue for him and trying to address them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not my person. How does that feel to realize somebody's not your person? It fucking sucks. Yeah. Especially after expending time and energy investing in a relationship, especially for me, because... I think I spent so much time trying to do two things. One is separate my personal life from my professional life, Mm -hmm. thinking that like the two should not commingle. My colleagues shouldn't care about or need to know who I love. And also felt like for a long time, I didn't need a partner in order to be made whole. Mm -hmm. Shout out to Melaru, my favorite song ever, Make Me Whole. It sucks. I think I'm still growing through the part of it hurting Mm -hmm. because I feel at times that there that we should have been able to figure it out. But you know what's interesting about realizing someone is great or good, but not your person? I feel it's like detaching yourself from being the reason, right? Like, because sometimes you internalize, well, maybe it's something about me. Oh, shit, I know it ain't me, especially not after this last round. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a good boyfriend. I realize that in practice. Okay. Right? And a part of this is, again, acknowledging that things he said were an issue for him. I reflected upon and I attempted to address. Mm -hmm. We had conversations about it. I know that wasn't the issue. He was either unwilling or unable to deal with some things that were rooted in trauma. Mm-hmm. And I cannot be both your therapist and your partner at the same time. That relationship Those are ended. two different co-pays. And I'm not a whole nother conversation <laughs> trying to, yes. I feel like I'm being baited. So all of that happened. We broke up. And I'm also right. I'm in this PhD program. I think a lot about research and how it is that we also have to acquire these additional tools to convince people of reality. Mm-hmm. And the data shows that most black men who love men mm-hmm. are in relationships with white men, which I find problematic for 
reasons that we don't have to go into. And so suffice it to say that what I said to myself was, I'm going to date black men, Mm -hmm. period. I'd like to think that if I had examples of black men loving other black men when I was a little black boy in Inglewood, California, Mm -hmm. that my life's trajectory would have been slightly different. Mm -hmm. And so I now have the ability to disrupt this idea that we don't exist. Right. And so the first post that I, I don't, I don't even remember how I got into this. Actually, I remember thinking about all this. We had a conversation about it here. I had a couple of other friends on our chat thread who said, don't do it. And I remember the question that I sat with was like, who can name a public celebrity, highly visible black gay male couple? Okay. I'll wait. And most people can. And that's a problem. Yep. In a world where representation matters and it is hard to find black men who are available. But to your earlier point, right? Like we use representation as kind of representation has even become cliche, right? Because we mean representation to a point. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean it in in acknowledging the the plurality of experiences in the world. Well, we get that you're above average friend. Oh, yeah. In a bell curve, you all the way over there. (laughs) Which is also problematic when you're trying to date. So... Revisiting Bell, this is a little bit of a longer quote. Bell said in All About Love, a soul connection is a resonance between two people who respond to the essential beauty of each other's individual natures behind their facades and whose connections are on a deeper level. Mm. It is a sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. Yeah, snaps. I'm going to say that last part again. It is a sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. Yeah, I wrote down sacred alliance and I thought about I have an amazing one of my therapists, Dr. Gray. Shout out to her. White woman. Woke. Um, she's a white woman that happens to be white, not a white woman who enjoys her privilege as a result of being white. She is culturally competent. Distinction, right. Yes. She helped me to appreciate this idea of too often we think of a relationship where two people come together and then like lean upon each other, almost like a teepee mm-hmm. where when they are apart, they are not able to stand independent mm-hmm. because of this codependency, but that a true relationship is one in which you and your partner are able to stand alone, mm-hmm. whether or not you're independent of one another or you're together. Yeah. And for me, this idea of having a sacred alliance with someone who appreciates that I, as a result of who I am and who God purposed me to be, show up in a world where I am almost always doing battle Mm -hmm. that requires me to wear different forms of armor and to engage in different practices to try and protect myself in that endeavor Mm -hmm. and to be competent and compassionate enough to see it and support me in it Mm -hmm. in ways that also allow for this very sacred space that the two of us can dwell in that's detached from all of that. Mm. My challenge here to four has been at least three things. I exist in isolating spaces. Mm -hmm. I lead an organization that is singular in this country. Yep. I am a doctoral student at an Ivy League institution where they just hired their first black professor 
this year or last year. I'm the only black man in my department as a student. I am often in the same way that I was years ago as a boy in Inglewood, where I took a bus an hour from Inglewood to go to school in Brentwood and Pacific Palisades. Still professionally, almost always the only one in the room. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is that when I think about black men who I have the potential to love, I'm seldom in spaces where anybody's equally yoked. Like another one of these terms that just vexes the shit out of me because people say it so often that I feel like I have to find it, but it's a unicorn. Yeah. What is equally yoked? I don't know because it doesn't exist. My reality is that most of my peers have not had the professional opportunities that I have had. Mm -hmm. Don't make the money that I make. Do they have your style friend? That's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> And, and so the thing that I've tried to think about is it doesn't have to be about like superficial social things. And I don't say superficial assigning any value to it, mm -hmm. but maybe it should mean that he has a closer relationship to God than I do, yeah. or his family is worked through some of the issues that come with trauma associated with the experience of being black in this country, or he is more empathetic to something than I otherwise am not. But I'm struggling through this because I don't know and have not experienced the equally yokeness. It might be why I'm dating now. Hmm. So you and I have never actually really talked about this. Uh-uh. But quiet. Because what I'm pulling is it's like it would be nice to have a partner where it feels like the noise around you that you experience in your external kind of spaces oh, yeah. was quiet. Yeah, within yeah, the context yeah, yeah. of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. if you come to him, we come to them and it's just quiet. Yeah, think about NDRE and getting back to the middle. And to go back to the point about debate, I learned to say in previous relationships, mm -hmm. I need a man who can be gentle. Mm. Well, right? Like, yeah. I am, I, to be clear, I am a dominant alpha male in the traditional when you're sense not of it. An alpha male, you're the alpha male. <laughs> right. um, I, you know, I am um, Myers, but all of those things. I'm a driver, right? Like, what's your strength finders? Do you remember? Listen, no, where I do it again. I'm a driver. I know that. Self assured is right. on there. Uh -huh, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not a supporter. I know that. So I spend so much time engaged in battle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just reflexive. Like, I can do it, but I, I learned to say, I can engage in the rhetorical battle, the verbal battle, but I don't want to. Not when I'm at home, mm -hmm. not when I'm with my love, not when I'm in the space that's supposed to be a sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. I've only dated two people where I felt quiet. One of them thinks you don't like him. We could talk about that often. I might not. <laughs> I probably don't. <laughs> and others trying to figure his stuff out. Uh, right? I don't like him either. <laughs> Yeah, quiet is important because too often, again, we think that we have to like fill time and space. Like mm -hmm. I enjoyed most the moments when we can just be right. Like I think again, like that's just freedom when I can show up in the world and don't have mm -hmm. to explain or apologize and make sense of, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm an introverted extrovert. I spend so much time having to be on. My ideal date is we meet in some space that is safe. Mm -hmm. There are candles. There's some Donny Hathaway or Mel LaRue playing. 
there's a film on, it could be on mute, but that is unapologetically black, that what at any point we can look up and know exactly what they're saying, mm-hmm. where we might have conversation, but also feel real comfortable in silence, mm-hmm. where we can just both be. That, strawberries, little music, that, that's a dope night to me. That's amazing. So the last Bell Hooks quote, because I love a Bell Hooks quote from Clearly. All About Love. I recommend it. I don't it's know. a good book. It is. It is a good was book. Was it you that came to the house was like, what book is that all tabbed up? Yes, that was it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have like a thousand tabs in that book. Take note. Um, but it's a simple quote. And she says, true love will happen whether we look for it or not. True love will happen whether we look for it or not. Are you looking for love? What is David John, excuse me, Mr. <sighs> David John, looking for? Am I looking for love? Now I cannot. I, I mail the, as soon as you said that India Ari is ready for love, started to play in my head. I hear it. Right. I am ready for love. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'm looking for it. Got and it. for me, the distinction is that I am 37. I am 37. I am. Oh, shit, I'm older than you. <laughs> <laughs> Just a reminder. I was like, my birthday hasn't happened uh, yet this year. <laughs> I'm 37. <laughs> Uh, I've had incredible life. I say often that I could go to heaven tomorrow. I don't want to, but I could, and I you would better not, not complain. I'm not ready for that. But I'm enjoying finding comfort in every part of my skin. Mm-hmm. It's interesting for me to be in this place. I just had my 15-year reunion. Shout out Columbia Lions, class of 2004. And so many of my classmates were affirming not only of what I've been able to accomplish professionally, but really about showing up in this space where, again, these words like authentic and transparent, sh- People evoke those terms. And if there's one thing that I'm thankful for, it's getting to the point where I can literally give no fucks in the way that I admire folks like Oprah and Barack Obama, people that have found their power and or who are over 60 and just realize that that's the way to live life. Oprah is also out here like my Michael Cork pants. And sing. <laughs> Michael Cork pants. <laughs> like, I like the Michael Cork pants. Right, 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 right. It's right. not pants. It's right, pants. no, 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 it's pants. Right. But when you're hard, you can say what you want to, when you want to, and we're going to get in line. It's a good white Formation. pants. Formation. Formation. It's no, a good a, white it's, pants. It's a crisp white pants. <laughs> we should be clear. Everybody should be trying to get as we move into these holiday seasons. But I say this to say, I am enjoying the freedom that comes with dating, mm. with being excited about plans that I'm making or that he's making that we can show up some space without preconceived notions or expectations and just enjoy new experiences. I am appreciating being challenged and checked and the assumptions I might find myself making about what it means to be a Black man in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm also mindful of the fact that my life has demonstrated what Ted Kennedy said to me some time ago, which is that if you just show up intentionally. Hold on, was that a name drop? Ted Kennedy. Was that a name drop? I mean, he said it. <laughs> he said it to you? He did. He, directly to you. Yes. Not to the room. No, in his office. But yeah. to you. Yeah, me. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've been privileged. I'm like, yeah. V Ted Kennedy? Yeah. Brother of Robert? Yeah. And John F. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talk, having a conversation about compromise. We, I was upset and frustrated because I knew what we should be doing. And he reminded me in a way that, again, he could as a statesman that so much of our life is about compromise. Mm. 
and about incremental process and change. And that if I am committed to just being through this process of showing up in relationship with other people, mm-hmm. allowing them to be a mirror, to ask me questions about who I am and how I make sense of the world, then when I am purposed to meet my partner, it'll all make sense. But I'm going to pour you a little bit more drink because I'm going to ask you a question. Can y'all hear that? I'm telling you, this sweet, sir. Shannon, let's make that a partnership. <laughs> you should be shouting them out because you pay for that subscription. I know. I should be in a They should, right. right. hire me. I don't drink at home by myself, but talk to me about your DMs. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I want Crystal's laugh. Shout out to the read. What do you um, want to know, Fred? What would people be surprised to find is in your DMs? And what would people be surprised to hear is not in your DMs? I think people, including my ex, thinks that my DMs are more popular than they are. I have my first popular <laughs> DM today. I sent it to Yes! Oh, I need to check. I missed that. I'm like, I'm why is that. this man so fine? Okay. Oh, I did see the picture, but I didn't get yes, the contact. Yes, he was fine. Okay, I'm here for okay. that. So I think that that's first. I use social media primarily as a tool for work. Mm-hmm. More recently, it has become a platform for me to uh, record messages that are often reminders to myself about things that I think are important and want to recall, Mm -hmm. but also just to say things that I believe in my spirit will be useful for somebody else. And so I think that the popular misconception is that dudes are sliding into my DMs all the time Mm -hmm. on some, here's my number, here's my address, slide through. There are apps for that. I don't get that on my DMs. What I have appreciated is that since I have started dating with David, that there are more people, interestingly enough, both men and women. And again, I'm real clear about where I am. That you are a same gender loving man. Right. That I... A same gender loving black man. Right. Okay. Who loves and worships and respects black women, but wants to be in a relationship Mm -hmm. intimately, physically, emotionally with another black man. But I get messages from, I have received recently messages from people who affirm appreciating that I emote Mm -hmm. and am expressive and love language and appreciate the precision in words Mm -hmm. and the power that they wield Mm -hmm. and have received a couple of propositions. Like a pretty woman proposition, Julia Roberts, Mm -hmm. or... A players club proposition like Ronnie or <laughs> what kind of propositions? <laughs> huh? <laughs> a proposition. A gentleman never kisses and tells on a podcast. True love will happen <laughs> whether like Seely. Did you at least piece the bitch? True love will happen whether we look for it or not. Word to bell hook. Can't believe that. Okay, so last day of your life, mm. you laying in the bed. You teacher Moses, surrounded by your babies and your significant other. What are your final words to your family? Mm. Teach the babies mm. how to get propositions in their DM. <laughs> <laughs> dot 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 everything. <laughs> Fill with the blanket, whatever you want. No, like. Teach the babies about the legacy of Black resistance and brilliance. Mm -hmm. Teach the babies about being strategic in spite of the opposition. Teach the babies about finding beauty in the darkness. Teach the babies whatever they need in order to show up and show out in the way that God uniquely purposed them to. 
teach the babies how to get propositioned in their Yeah, why you go back to that? Because I don't get propositioned in my DMs. <laughs> I got random men that want to scale my height. It's, that's a proposition. <laughs> Let me climb this tree. That is a proposition. <laughs> I got a couple of those messages too. Uh-huh. So for somebody out there that's listening, has made it through the longest ice coffee confession ever. And I love this ice coffee confession. And I'm, Emmanuel, we're going to keep this whole life so people better like ride with us through this. Hey. Um, I'm a man. I'm looking to date you. How do I step to Mr. David Johns? Just shoot your shot. It depends on where we are. When I'm in workspaces, I tend to be focused on work. <laughs> I will be mindful of the possibility of that and try to be receptive, but hey, brother, can I take you out? I don't know. Can we talk about this real quick? Because you and I have talked about like heteronormative things that have also permeated, right? Into the same gender loving community, right? Um, In terms of like who pays on the date. Yeah. In the same gender relationship. Yes. How have you navigated the check coming to the table and somebody got to pay? So I don't, again, I want to talk about my experience, not same gender loving people generally. Yes. Yeah, so I'm talking about Mr. I, t- I tend to pick up the check. Why? Because a part of my development as a black boy mm-hmm. was that a black man is able to provide physically and mentally, emotionally, financially, and spiritually. And not only because I have been blessed with financial resources Mm -hmm. that most members of my family don't have, Mm -hmm. which at times I resent having to be responsible in that regard. It's a reflexive thing. But also, if I'm completely honest and acknowledge my own trauma as a Black man, it is a part of what I believe to be my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I tend to pay for dates, whether they're intimate or platonic. Mm -hmm. And I don't have an expectation that, although I do like when my partner signals that they would be willing to pay for a date. I have a date tomorrow that I am... Do you now? I do. What part of the city? I don't know yet. Can I come? No. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm excited because he is planning the date. Mm -hmm. I don't know where we will go. All I have provided is window of time. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's one of the first times where I will show up not being the one in control. Uh-huh. So I'm eager to see what happens. And I will try not to force paying for things. I'm eager to get the post-date recap. Because y'all messy. For what happens. And as Mr. David John's sister, surprise my friend and pay for the date. Don't pump fake pick up the check okay <laughs> last night we went out and watched this man and woman that were Dutch Ooh, not leave a tip that's crazy don't be those people that was crazy he would yeah that was just I don't yeah I, I, I've gone out Dutch and I've realized like sometimes right like you'll be like hey take me to this place and if the person doesn't know how expensive the place might be like I have no problem like maybe like Dutching it up but going Dutch and not leaving a tip y'all both are both y'all are foul as fuck, but I also don't understand why people show up offering up themselves to date when they're not ready to date. The thing I continue to think about, and anybody who follows the Dating with David Chronicles was introduced to Mr. Fixed Income, a brother who said to me <laughs> before we had our first date that he was on a fixed income, mm-hmm. but then later after our date said that he wasn't in a position to date. 
And the thing that I continue to struggle with is where I am is wanting non-complicated, non-drama-inducing opportunities to get to share space and time with people. Mm-hmm. I don't want... There's a person that is associated with the Klan in the White House. I don't want no additional drama in my life. If you are not in a position to date because you are insecure with regard to your finances or your whatever, you shouldn't be on the market. So what you're saying is when we love (laughs) and will. What I'm saying is that bell hooks like most black women get it right. (laughs) We need to trust black women and we'd be good. But I get it too. Sometimes I think people are ready to date and they realize the quality or the caliber of the person they're dating. And it doesn't make it right. I'm not excusing it because you know you'd be real quick to be like, so that you're excusing you're letting this person off the hook. Mm-hmm. But sometimes people genuinely meet you and are like, damn. In another life, like D'Angelo said. I think that that is one of the most offensive and disrespectful things that people can do in the world. Mm-hmm. And what I think to myself is, again, like... Each of us are uniquely purpose to show up in the world in a particular way. Mm-hmm. My job is my job. I have accepted that, period, full stop. In relationship to my partner, my job is to be your partner. Yeah, but some people are not whole. That's right. But that is a reflection of the need to do more work, mm-hmm. independent of inviting other people into your life. And again, Sarah Jakes had a powerful sermon about this years ago, now that I think about it again, that like... Too many of us get into relationships as broken people thinking that two broken halves are going to make a whole. Are you going to scratch like each other up? Period. And so what I want, to your point about being intentional and manifesting things out loud, is to be in relationships, in relation with men who are emotionally healthy, mm-hmm. who are without attachment to other people emotionally Mm -hmm. or intimately Mm -hmm. and who are able to show up as their full authentic selves. Their full authentic selves. We also have to be ready to listen. Always. And always. Yeah. Because sometimes people tell us, I'm not saying you, I'm talking, this is more for me. The general us. Yeah. But sometimes people tell us exactly where they are in terms of like reconciling their issues. And we still believe us ourselves as the bandaid or the fixer. To get them to be our partner. I think that's true. But sometimes people also, in particular, black men, will tell us, will tell, but then also signal things that contradict that. Mm -hmm. So you can say, I don't know that I'm ready to date. But then seeking out somebody and inviting them out on an actual date is in direct contradiction to that. Mm -hmm. And so in relation to an earlier conversation about things, conversations that we need to have intra-communal. And it's like the adage I'm thinking about now generally is that like it's almost a joke that a man will say, I'm not interested in a relationship, but a woman is picking out China and planning their wedding. That's often not just because he's saying I'm not interested in a relationship, but it's because his actions are consistent with a man who actually isn't in relationship. But because at some point you said this ain't what I want, what I need you to know is in this particular way, I'm supposed to ignore how you show up in real time. Mm. That's just bullshit. Mm. And in those moments in particular, that's when I find myself saying to you as a friend, you specifically, but also the black women that I know and love and that make me better, you letting these niggas off the hook. I don't know if we can say that on the ice coffee. Why not? The N-word. Issa Rae made it a thing. She got sweatshirts with it. (laughs) Intimidating. Gut reaction. Me? 
The word? The the word intimidating. I hate it. White supremacy wins when black people shrink and hide and apologize for who they are and how they're purposed to move through the world. And what I'm clear about are my gifts. I'm also clear about the things that are not my gifts. I can't sing. I wish I could. If I could, I wouldn't have a single friend because I would only sing and none of y'all could take it. That's kind of like if I had a booty. Listen. If I had a booty. It'd be a wrap. Nobody would like me. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> You'd be out here on some real good hot girl shit all the time. I would be Megan the, the Stallion. Stallion. Not right. even the, 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 the D-A. D-A. Right. Capital D, capital A. So I think that that intimidating is a cop out. Hmm. And it usually reflects show up as you are. Yeah. I think that some of these things become cop-outs for people when they're not willing to do the work to hold space for where they are, as they are, and they project things on other people. It is a sacred alliance whose purpose is to help both partners discover and realize their deepest potentials. Level up. Mr. David Johns, we cannot close the iced coffee confessions without a little bit of tea. Oh, shit. I feel like in this context, we had a whole bunch of tea. Right. I don't even know how long this episode is going to be. How long is that over 40 there? 40 minutes. It's 40 more minutes? Yes. Oh, this is two episodes, <laughs> man. But we can't end the episode without a little bit of tea. Okay. So, Mr. David Johns, what is the advice that you would give to your younger self? Fuck it up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> One of the greatest moments of my life was producing a White House Summit for Black LGBTQ youth. Mm-hmm. It was one of the toughest things that I've ever had to do. I had a lot of colleagues who said to me that I would be fired as a result of it, that my professional career would be shit. But I watched kids 13, 14, 15, 16 take up space and be unapologetically themselves in ways that I envied. Mm-hmm. I remember saying to them in that moment, if I had a modicum of what you have in this moment, I can't imagine how different my life would be. Mm. Those babies celebrated the summit at the Indian Treaty Room in the EEOB, which is a building that overlooks the White House, literally Mm -hmm. where the first family sleeps. And in this room that's real stately and ornate, they found a way to connect their music to the speaker system. Some of these babies vogued. They just had a party. They were free. These are some of these kids have been kicked out of their home, told they're not worth anything that they need to question who they are and how God made them. Mm-hmm. They were free. That night we went to sleep. The plan was to wake up the next morning and go to the HRC to have a conversation as adults about what we heard and we learned. And in between all of that, post nightclub massacre happened. Mm, Orlando. Yeah. On a night that was designated for people of color. A night where we lost one of my frat brothers who also served in our armed forces. And it, for me, was a reminder that I have a an obligation and a responsibility to step into places where I can show up for other people in ways that I wish people had shown up for me. Mm-hmm. And so much about both my professional life and now this dating with David, me sharing very publicly my private life. It's a hashtag. Do you own the site? Uh, not yet. I better go buy it. And now you're telling people. <laughs> well, you can it buy it before it airs. You need to go online right now. Net firms. Go daddy.com. <clears throat> now Google Suites. And so you have the email address attached. And Thank see. you. Support the conglomerate. I support them when they invest in me. <clears throat> Thanks. Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> caps, caps, cap. But so much about this is just walking by faith and appreciating that 
God doesn't make mistakes. Not one. And that I was, everything that I'm experiencing now, the valleys and the peaks were all determined before I took a single breath. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that I could say to, I'm struggling because I was about to talk about Nigel. I'm still thinking about Nigel because he's so much about who I was at that point in time. It's to just trust yourself. Mm-hmm. And to appreciate that those who don't understand might not ever. And at some point, they don't want to be close to you anyway. And that the path to the freedom that is not only liberating, but that you deserve is accessible at the moment in which you just succumb to appreciating that you are perfect in the ways in which you are formed. So I find myself now saying to babies when I encounter them that you are brilliant, you are beautiful, you are perfect. Everything about you is exactly as designed. And if there's one thing I would want the younger David to know, it's to accept all of that and to act on it earlier. You are wonderfully made, friend. Mr. David Jermaine Johns. Lord. You can't just hear my whole government. Now they all going to know my they social They want to know what the Lord middle J was. Jesus. It wasn't J. Johns. <laughs> Y'all better not say nothing about the Jacksons because me and my mama going to come for you. <laughs> Thank you for an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. You are loved. You are appreciated. Thanks, friend. You are Thank too. you. Y'all get you a village that holds you down. We'll see y'all on the next Ice Coffee Confessions. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions. We'd love to stay in touch with you. You can find us on social media via Facebook at Iced Coffee Confessions or on Instagram at The Real Iced Coffee Confessions. See you soon.